feel like, uh, I don't think I belong here. <laughs> From a very young age, my parents really showed us through their actions how important education was. So math was really the basis of it. I have the, my little YouTube channel of Just Don't Know Glaze about finance. Honestly, that role that I was just describing was the hardest job I ever had. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast. Yvonne Harris is a dynamic first-generation college graduate from the west side of Chicago in Oak Park. With a passion for numbers and financial acumen, she earned her accounting degree graduating cum laude from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and became a certified public accountant. After an eye-opening experience in the Treasurer's Department, Yvonne delved into finance, pursuing her MBA with a concentration in finance at the Kelly School of Business, Indiana University. Thanks to a prestigious fellowship from the Consortium of Graduate Study and Management, she had the opportunity to study abroad in Barcelona, Spain, enriching her global perspective. Throughout her impressive 20-year career, Yvonne has excelled in diverse finance and analytical roles within the pharmaceutical industry. Currently, she thrives in a finance position supporting North America in a prominent life sciences company. Beyond her professional achievements, Yvonne finds fulfillment in giving back to her community. She has a strong, long-standing history of volunteering and currently serves at a local food pantry. Advocating for empowerment and progress, she firmly believes in lifting as we climb. Outside of work and community service, Yvonne indulges in her passions for food and music. As a self-professed foodie and music lover, she appreciates the finer things in life and embraces the joy they bring. Yvonne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So let me start off with my first question here, which is tell us about, you know, graduating from college um, at the top of your class, right? I can remember. High school. High school from the top Listen, of listen class. top of any class is an accomplishment. I remember, I remember elementary school. I remember middle school, high school, college. I did not uh, graduate from the top of any class I was in, okay? So, so, nor I, so, nor so, I. So don't, don't, don't diminish the accomplishment. Don't diminish the accomplishment. So, so tell me this. So, you know, you know, at a young age, high school, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, the yes. drive, the passion to succeed at such a young age, high school. Where does that come from? Mm -hmm. I really think it came from my parents. You know, uh, my sister and I grew up on the west side of Chicago, inner city, um, until we were kind of preteen age. But my parents, neither of them graduated from college or attended college. So from a very young age, my parents really showed us through their actions how important education was. My sister and I, we were bused to a magnet school um, from the west side of Chicago. So we had like probably like an hour and a half ride each way to get to school. 
in the morning because we pick up lots of different kids along the way. And, um, you know, that messaging started very early in our lives. And then when we were in high school, we moved to um, the suburbs so that we could be in a good community for the school system. You know, one of the reasons why we moved and um, that that message of the importance of education was always around us. And so I, I watched my parents work very hard and sacrifice a lot so that we could have a good education. And, and that is what they knew and um, thought would be the key to a better life for, for my sister and I. So that messaging was um, instilled in us at a very young age. Yeah, you know, as you share that, something that I was talking to my son about recently is exposure, right? And so, yes. you know, some of us are born, we're all born with a, a different uh, deck of cards, right? De different mm -hmm. hand of cards, right? Some of us are born mm -hmm. in families where, you know, both parents are um, highly educated. Some of us are born in families where, you know, they're scraping to get by and then you have everything in between. And the, right. the, the key regardless of what hand you're dealt is the exposure, right? And so it's clear to me mm -hmm. through the story you just shared that your parents exposed you guys to, hey, this is our life. It's a good life, but there's more than that, right? And you, oh, could, and you could achieve that through education. So I'm glad you shared that story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So then you, you developed an interest in accounting and finance. Tell me where mm -hmm. that came from. You know, it was really more an interest in math. Okay. So math was always my favorite subject um, throughout my whole like elementary and high school career. So math was really the basis of it. And then in high school, I took an accounting class and, you know, I was good at it. And, you know, I didn't really know, honestly. I just kind of picked it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it good. I heard okay. good things about it. Okay. And, I did well in the class and I just chose that. And um, it opened up a lot of different doors. I actually never worked as strictly an accountant. My first job was in internal auditing, which, you know, is a good, accounting is a good basis for really any business career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of different avenues you can take with accounting. So I started in an in, in internal auditing and at an energy company in my area, um, our local gas company. And then um, after that, I moved to the treasurer's department of that same company and got exposed to finance. Mm. And that's when I kind of said, hmm, this is interesting. I kind of like this. Mm. You know, I was exposed to like cash management mm. and investing. And originally I thought I wanted to be like an investment manager or Ooh. something in that realm. Yeah. Um, so when I went to graduate school, that was what I was thinking I was going to do. Um, but as I learned more, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that because that field is so, um, it's not very diverse, not a lot of women. I don't know if I would be comfortable in that kind of environment. And so I went the corporate route. Um, so really the basis with ma was math, but it kind of, um, I guess, blossomed into something else after that. Well, this is fascinating. For our listeners, can you, I, I like the way you describe the accounting to the treasurer, to the audit. 
in our world, it seems like that word treasure, you don't really have a treasury department anymore. You have CFO, chief uh, financial officers, yeah. or you may have a CRO, chief revenue officer. Yeah. But a treasurer, that's, I mean, if you can't, can you ex- define the role of a treasurer as opposed to an accountant, as opposed to a CFO, or is it just the title changed over the time it's the same functions? Well, okay, so I'll, I'll just explain what the treasurer's department was responsible for. So in my, my first job out of undergrad, the treasurer's department was responsible for all of the cash management of the company. So they, you know, the cash manager in the department did all of the investing of the company's cash. So they would be, you know, on the phone talking with different brokers and dealers and um, making sure they made the, the safest and best investments with with the, the company's uh, cash to grow it, to safeguard it, to account for it, et cetera. Um, so the treasurer was the head of that department. They also had um, analysts, which is what I was in the department that did analytics or analysis on like capital investment projects. So looking at um, the ROI, return on investment mm-hmm. of projects within the company to see if they were good investments. Mm-hmm. Also, one thing that I worked on, which I thought was or two things that I worked on that really intrigued me and got me interested in finance was I was responsible for like a small fund that we had that was backed by bonds. So ever so often I'd have bonds maturing and I'd have to call the broker and reinvest those funds to continue to grow those dollars for the company. And um, the other thing I worked on when I was in that department was a dividend analysis. So I basically worked on an analysis that yielded a, a result that told the treasurer, okay, this is how much we should pay to our stockholders via a dividend. And I thought that was really interesting and cool. Yeah. And I was very intrigued that they would allow me to work on such projects being so young and so green. So that, that's kind of, a, you know, the summary or summarization of what, happens within the treasurer's department. Ah. This is is so intriguing because Dre and I talk about, we had some private equity guys and they talk about what they do by raising capital. And then I was speaking, I have my little YouTube channel of Just Don't Know Glaze about finance. And and I say, you want dividend paying stocks, but I've never in my experience met anyone who, like Apple pays a dividend of what, $2, but no one ever is behind the curtains. Like, what's the what's the the ingredients for coming up with that two dollars versus a dollar fifty versus a dollar for a dividend? Right, right. That's so. Yeah. From a high level, for <laughs> we have some people on our channel who are interested. In, just if you could break it down in layman's term, what is it like? Say, oh, Dre, we just got an extra million dollars. Dre's like, I think we should have a 50 cent dividend. No, Kevin's like, no, 25. Don't give him 20, 50 cent. Give him 25. What is the mechanic? Not the mechanic, just like from a high level perspective. What's that conversation like? Is it a lot of give and push? The stockholders calling you up, like, give us more dividends? And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was so long ago. I don't remember the the deep, the real nitty gritty details of the analysis. But there there was an analysis that I did that looked at like 
our competitors and I can't remember exact the exact details mm-hmm. of what I analyzed, but I do remember we I did look at our competitors and what they were doing and that sort of thing. So um, it's 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 a very um, complex process. It's well thought out, and um, I'm sure there was conversation beyond me, you know, in the C-suite mm-hmm. before it was mm-hmm. approved. But that was kind of a starting point of the conversation. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so eventually that led you to, what industry was that in exactly that first? So, so it was in the energy industry. Energy. I worked for Nicor Gas, okay. our local utility company okay. in okay. my area. Okay. And now you're in the life sciences space. I am. Yeah. So am. Tell me about the role that you do there. Tell me how you, how you transitioned from that role you had with energy into working in the space of Life science. Life science. Yeah. Well, in between that, so so I started in energy and then I went back to school uh-huh. to, to obtain my MBA. Okay. So I went to graduate school and my concentration was finance at that point because I had gotten that exposure in my first job out of undergrad. It was like, hey, I really like this. Right. And thought that maybe I would do something in the investment space because I was exposed to it in my first job and then kind of backed away from that and said, yeah, I want to do something where there would be a little more diversity um, in the like in my colleagues and the people I'm working with. Um, So I went the corporate route um, and I worked probably, you know, a little over two decades in the pharmaceutical industry. Okay. so I was working at various pharma companies, one that everybody would know of, you know, Abbott Mm -hmm. Laboratories um, and their corporate finance group. So most of my roles were just supporting different areas of the company, like research and development, sales and marketing, um, managed markets, different functions within the company, but supporting them from a financial planning and analysis standpoint. Mm. So basically building their budgets, um, making sure they stay on track with their budgets and the commitments that they've made to the company, Mm -hmm. doing analysis that would help support decision making. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a role in pricing at one point in one of my companies. So it wasn't finance, but it was still analytical in nature. So in pricing, I supported a group of of sales folks that called on like man. managed care organizations. So mm-hmm. when I say managed care, I mean like your insurance companies like Aetna, um, mm-hmm. Blue Cross Blue Shield, mm-hmm. Kaiser, you know, mm-hmm. those and even hospitals and clinics and the government like Med- Medicare and Medicaid, mm-hmm. you know, pharmaceutical companies have to strike deals with those organizations so that we can get our get access right on their plans. It's called formulary access, right? And that determines how much you pay as a as a customer for your prescription drugs. So best case is you want to be at the highest level on those formularies because um, that's the best deal for the company and that's the best deal for you as a customer. And we as a we would as a pharmaceutical company pay or I'm trying to put this in layman's terms. We would give um, these managed care companies and hospitals, clinics, the government discounts mm-hmm. on the, the price of our drugs to give us access. And mm. that's basically how sales happen 
in the pharmaceutical world. Give and take. So I did give or take. And I would do the analytics behind those deals and present them to our senior management on behalf of the sales folks that I um, supported. So I did those kind of roles. And um, I'm sorry, I don't remember what your no, no. question was. No, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's good because I have a follow up to my initial question. So, so you, you mentioned okay. that you're putting, trying to put it in layman's terms. Let me just pause for a second. You could be a, a professor. Like everything you're saying, I'm tracking. It's it's because I'll be honest with you. You know, math, econ- uh, economics, and accounting. You might as well start speaking Greek because you know. You know, you know it's, a it's a different language. It's a different language. It's a different language. But, honestly, go ahead. No, honestly. Honestly, that role that I was just describing was the hardest job I ever had because it was like a different world, the language, the terminology, you know, I I hadn't, I'd be in meetings and I'd have no idea what they were talking about. Like, what is, what is a formulary? What is a step? What is a prior authorization? You know, what is this stuff? You know, so that, that was the hardest job I ever had, but I probably learned the most. Well, and that's, that, that was going to be our follow-up because as you were describing the role, you touched, it seemed like almost every area of the company as it related to you, what you did in finance. And so how did that prepare you? Talk about, about it sounds like it may have even catapulted you to the next level. And I guess the question is, how did that occur? So for example, I'll give you an example. I know someone who worked in the healthcare industry. While they worked there, they had an opportunity to work in IT, supply chain, um, clinical services. Um, they worked with business partners. And so before getting into that industry, healthcare, their initial thought was, oh, it's just patient care. And so once they got in there, like you mentioned, they'd go into meetings and things and like, what are they talking about? You know. But yeah. they, they figured it out, you know, they they, they, right. they paid their dues, et cetera. Yeah. And what ended up happening is that they realized that, whoa, now I have a whole set of new skills I can use because I can speak the language. I can almost go right. in any direction I want to go in, you know, with these skills. And um, mm-hmm. while it was challenging, et cetera, you know, it kind of helped catapult yeah. them to the next level. And they, they realized yeah. there was a next level beyond this. Did you have any yeah. similar experience coming out of that role? Um, I would say yes, because in that role, I mean, it was very challenging in the sense that um, there was it was high pressure, um, which was good and bad. Um, good in that, you know, it taught me that I could I could handle it. Mm-hmm. Bad in that, you know, after a certain period of time, it just wears on anybody mm-hmm. because you're human, right? You get burnt out. Um, but that role, I had quite a bit of autonomy. Um, so that was good in that it, it it honed those independent skills, that it honed those independent decision-making skills. Um, I had to do presentations bi-weekly to senior management. So it, it honed that skill set. I mean, I, I really hate presenting, um, but it was a good learning experience and also to sit in a room with senior leaders and be able to anticipate the questions and have the answer ready and speak their language and speak their language Mm -hmm. and also present yourself in such a way that you're taken seriously you know that you're valued um and credible um 
all those things, right? So that did catapult my skill set in that way. And also, you know, the question you asked me now, I remember, was how did it lead to life sciences? So so all that experience in the pharmaceutical industry, I, I realized I really like this space. I like working in the healthcare space because it's an important industry. It's an industry that's always going to be needed. It's an industry that helps people live better lives. It's interesting. Um, so it, it let me know that I really like that industry. So when I left the pharmaceutical industry, it wasn't really like planned. I was really just looking for a, a different company with a better culture. And I happened to land at my next company, which is Waters Corporation. And the tagline of that company is um, science that matters. So we deal in science that matters. So um, our biggest client for my company are pharmaceutical companies. Ah. So my past experience is kind of indirectly related to what my current company does yeah. in that the products that they make mm -hmm. serve the pharmaceutical industry primarily. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, one quick comment, and I'll pass it over to Smiley here. You mentioned the pressure, the pressure mm -hmm. of that prior role. Um, mm -hmm. There's a phrase I, I, I shared with my son recently, pressure bust pipes and make or makes diamonds, right? Pressure. And so, sure. you know, in my mind, I was trying to share it when I was sharing that with him, I was saying, you have, you know, a couple options, you know, you can give up and say, I can't make it through, or you can figure out, you know, how can I, with being mindful of my mental state, right? Providing, sure. giving yourself right. the mental care you need, how can I make it through this? And so I can then make a pivot. You clearly you know, turned into a diamond and, you know, leveraged, yeah. the opportunity, leveraged the opportunity into where you are now. And, uh, yeah. and, and so, so congrats there and making that, that transition. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. But, uh, a few times while you were speaking, you mentioned diversity. So throughout, you were always seeking a diverse culture or something, uh, an environment it seems that was similar to the diversity you 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 desired did you find that or is it a journey or is it an influence? I, I, honestly honestly um it, it it varied based on company um but in the in the in the in the finance corporate finance field there're not many black women um or men honestly um so usually i'm one of very few maybe one of two maybe one of one so it's a very lonely um function from that standpoint and that makes it it makes it hard but given my background right going back to my educational background you know i growing up i lived you know for a portion of my life in an all-black neighborhood but I was bused to a magnet school where I went to school with all different kinds of people. And when I moved to Oak Park, my high school was predominantly, you know, white people. So, and then when I went to college, same thing, you know, it's very diverse. So I was used to, um, you know, not seeing people like me or, or interacting with people who didn't look like me. Uh, and who were from different backgrounds 
So from that, I'm sorry. Code switching. Yeah, code switching, if you will. So I was used to wearing like different faces, right? Mm. So it wasn't really foreign to me. You know, mm. it's something that I would hope, like, you know, if you see yeah. one other person that looks like you, you get so excited, like, oh my god, another black. Oh my god, you're going to be my friend. Yeah. You know, right, right, right. Seriously, right. but um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> right. that's the reality that yeah, we live yeah, in. Yeah. You know. It's, I only ask that because I'm, I'm going to make a statement and follow up. Over the weekend, this past week, I just came in from driving from uh, San Antonio to Tampa last night. But I took my daughter to Xavier, HBCU in, in New, New oh, Orleans. Nice. Beautiful campus. I've never, I mean, it's so small and quaint, but it was, it was, I mean, every HBCU I walk on, it's just like you, it's like a family reunion, even though I didn't right, know it. You feel anyone, the love. You I'm feel the love. With my, yeah. Exactly. And they are, the, the ironic part yes. is that my daughter had her girlfriend and she's like, that's a girl who went to my school. We're like, what? And we pulled over and it was a girl who graduated from her school here in Tampa two oh, years wow. ago. And she's like, Angela, she hugged her. <laughs> like, oh, what's the odds of seeing that? Right. Right. So I mentioned that to say, if, I, if I, I'm going to try and phrase this question. Imagine Yvonne at 22, 23 at an HBCU or even at a university account, studying accounting. Yeah. How would you speak to yourself or any young person of color that's a lady or male, because you said there's not many of us there. What would you tell them? Go into treasury, go into finance, or go into accounting, go into internal auditing, or, or what would you say? It's going to get better. Just come on in. Or what would you charge them? Because they want diversity. They want to see other people like mm -hmm. them. What would you say to yourself if you were 22, 23, and get ready to jump into the ocean of corporate mm -hmm. America? I honestly would say, do what you love, you know? I would say, do, do what, what you, you love, love. follow mm -hmm. follow your heart, because if you do what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. And I wish that somebody had told me that. Like, you know, my sister and I, like I said, we were first generation mm -hmm. college graduates, my sister and I. And, you know, my dad and my mom, you know, my mother worked in the insurance industry all of her career in clerical positions. My dad had many jobs. He was very talented, but he, you know, he landed in the, the trucking industry. So he drove, um, you know, uh, a truck for Jewel Foods, which was our local um, grocery chain um, for most of his career. And my dad, like, hated his jobs. Like, he was always, like, moving around, but he stuck with that because it was, you know, he was good at it and he made good money, you know, with, without having a college degree. But I wish that somebody had told us like, you know, follow your heart, do what you love because you'll naturally be good at that. You'll naturally be good at what you love and you'll want to, to learn more and be better at it. And it won't feel like a chore and it won't feel like, Oh, I got to go to work. You know, you'll want to, you'll be energized. You know, it's like follow what gives you energy. You know, if you don't understand what you like, well then assess, assess what, what makes you happy? Like what gives you energy? Like what do you find yourself just spending hours and hours on that you could make into a career? That's what I would tell a young person, honestly. Yvonne, the life coach. <laughs> <laughs> You want to become a life coach. You should. It's you should. 
Hey, you should. You should. You should. You should. You should. You're a natural. Baby, You're a let natural. Me tell you. I have my book here. <laughs> Let's do it. I, I already see. I already see the, the title of your podcast. The title of your podcast is right. "Do What You Love" and the shirt. And look, do what you that, love. That, that could be the that could be a title, title of your your uh, life coach business as well. Do yeah, what you oh love. My God. Do you know it. You know it. Yes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trademarking it after the show. I'm running to trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, he's the one asking for dividends. I'm like, no, just do it. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I really like this. Uh, do what you love and what makes you happy, because if you follow your heart, like you say, it's never work. It's just yeah, doing what you yeah. enjoy. Your work is and, your play, you know. Yeah. Well, so the w- other question I was going to ask was more about let's say our culture, our black people in America, since you, you're financially astute, experienced, expert, what would you say to young people who are trying to, they're doing what, they're love, what they love, but I don't know how to get into investing. And not that you're a financial expert or planner and you're giving <laughs> advice, but what would, you, what would you tell to yourself, like start buying dividend stocks or read this book or just learn or talk to Dave Ramsey, Susie mm-hmm. Orman or... What would you say to a young person who's coming out of college, they have a good job, but they have no one in their family with financial experience. They were probably the first one that had a, a, a checking account. And believe it or not, so many families still deal with these pay here, buy here, pay here stuff, and they don't even have bank yeah. accounts. What would you say to a young person that's first generation, no one in her family understands her, but she's trying to pull the whole herd of everyone up to some sort of financial literacy. I I would say, you you know, the good thing is you're part of a generation who has information at your fingertips. Like you can YouTube anything, you know, you can YouTube how to change a tire. You can YouTube how to cook, Mm -hmm. you know, something for dinner. I would just start by researching, right? Researching YouTube, Mm -hmm. Google it. Um, So part the, the 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 best part about this technology age is that there's there's a wealth of information at your fingertips. So I would say that's one avenue. The other avenue is to you know maybe look at a mentor, like look to a mentor or someone you know. Maybe you have a cousin or you have an aunt or an uncle or a friend, family friend, someone in your church or a coach, a teacher who you know may be able to help you. You might be able to ask them, hey, do you know anything about stocks or mutual funds? You know, and most people would be, they would love to share, you know, information that they have or knowledge that they have. The other thing, I was actually a financial coach. It's funny that you brought up coaching. And I uh, worked with this organization called the Center for Economic Progress. And they were piloting a program where um, people could sign up to be a part of this program and they would be coached on achieving financial goals. And as a coach, I had a client that I worked with on a weekly basis. We set up smart goals, which means, you know, they're measurable action, uh, time bound and responsible, responsible, no specific, measurable, achievable. 
achievable, uh, re, uh, reasonable, reasonable, reasonable. And, and time bound. Exactly. Bingo. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you attended her class, Dre? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it was worth Bingo. every penny. <laughs> so we, we, we would set up a smart goal for them to achieve during the program. I think the program was like eight to 10 weeks, something like that. And um, mm -hmm. every week we get together, you know, we go through different financial uh, tools like tracking expenses. Um, that sort of thing, working on improving their credit, that sort of thing to get them to achieve that specific goal that they set. And at the end of the program, if they achieve that goal, this program would give them $500 and they would graduate, they'd get a certificate. So look for a program like that. There's so many programs out there that you probably don't even know of. You could just Google, yeah. you know, a lot of not-for-profit organizations have programs like that. I know, for example, the YWCA in Evanston has a financial literacy program um, that people can sign up for. So you just have to do some research, you know, reach out to people you know, they might be able to tell you about different resources. I had a friend just recently, yesterday actually asked me, do you know anything about day trading? And I was like, actually, I don't. And um, they said, is that something you'd be interested in learning? I was like, actually, yeah, I would. So this, you know, he and I are going to learn about day trading. I've ordered a book off of Amazon, Day Trading for Dummies. Great. Great. There you go. Awesome. So yeah. that, would, that would be my advice. So as you Thank share you. that in terms of what you were, have done in the community, I think back about the the uh, what I read in your bio, lifting as yes. we climb. Tell me more about that motto and how you apply that in the work you do in the community. Community. What does that motto mean? So that motto means, you know, as I advance, right, in my life, you know, um, as a you know just a human being in this world, you know, I really believe like to those. What's the phrase like? Something like to those who are to those who yeah, much is given, much, much is expected. Much is given, okay. Much is, okay. Say it again. Something. It's expected. Right, right. So the more you have, the more you yeah. should give. Yeah, yeah. That's the basic premise. Sure. I believe that. Yeah. Um, my parents modeled that for me and my sister. My parents did a lot of community. My father passed away when I was in college, but he was always doing like volunteer work um, with different organizations. My mother, when she retired, she worked with the food pantry, the same one that I worked with in our neighborhood. And she put in so many hours, she ended up being the volunteer of the year, one year. So it's always modeled wow. from my sister and I. So it's always been in my face. So um, I believe that, you know, as you have something, you share it, right? That's to me, I believe that's why we're put on this earth. You know, put on, I think Martin Luther King said, you know, that's the price that you, service is the price that you pay for living in this world. So um, when you serve, you get something back. You know, it's like the more you give, the more you feel good about yourself and just period. So a lot yeah. of people will say, well, if you're depressed, go out and do something for somebody else because it takes your mind off of your own worries and you're putting good energy, really you're putting good energy into the world. And that comes back to you. At least that's what I think. So yeah. I think, yeah. you know, 
you, okay. we got to help each other, right? That's the only way yeah. we can improve this world that we live in. I love that motto, lifting yeah. as we climb. And that clearly that clearly, clearly encapsulates the person that we, we've seen so far and heard so far on this podcast. Another question for you. You have two more, then we'll kick off okay. the final four. So your background, and, and this is a little kind of, kind of uh, you know, more as it relates to the world today, right? So with your background in finance and accounting, what are your thoughts? These are just general thoughts, no okay. advice, nothing political, okay. anything like that. I'm, I'm asking, so don't feel uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. I don't feel uncomfortable. What are your thoughts on the current state of the U.S. economy? You know, I think that it, it it's it's troubling. You know, it's troubling when you hear about people, you know, losing their jobs, hours being cut, um, interest rates rising the price of everything rising, but yet, you know, um, you know, people are losing their jobs. So it's concerning, but you have to remember that the economy always goes in cycles and waves. Like you have a cycle like this, but at some point it's going to rebound. So it's temporary. Um, but I mean, I know if you're going through it, if you're the one who just lost your job, me saying that probably doesn't make you feel better. Or maybe it does, knowing yeah. that, you know, eventually it's going to ride its way out. There's, there's, there's hope. hope. Yeah. And it, you just have to, unfortunately, just, you know, hang tight and know that the tide is going to turn because the economy goes through these different cycles. We have, you know, upswings, we have downswings, then you got another upswing. So it's like a wave. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right. So here's the... Uh question that's going to lead into the final four. It's not the final okay. four question that leads into it. So you've shared a lot. You've shared a lot in terms of your journey to becoming the person you yeah. are today, the work you do in the community, et cetera. Um, what's one thing that people don't know about you that you wish they knew? Wow, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, people will probably look at me, you know, in the exterior, you know, the paper, right? The resume, you know, the exterior, the, the, the physical things, oh, the, the car she drives or the clothes she wears, whatever, right? And think that life has always been a crystal stare for me, as Langston Hughes would say, right? Or, and, and it hasn't. You know, I've gone through a lot of struggles in this process of becoming, right, as Michelle Obama would say, and um, know that, you know, everybody goes through valleys that you don't know about. Everybody fights battles that you don't know about. And I'm no exception to that rule. So um, I, I'm an overcomer. I would say that. Uh. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So tell me this. Um, first question of the final four. If you're going to have dinner with anyone alive or dead, there's four, four seats at the four chairs at the table. You're in one. You can either have three others or four others who sit down at your table. Who and why? I mean, do they have to be like famous people? Dinner? Is that what you're getting it can be no. anybody. It can be your neighbor. It can be, be the mailman. It can, it can be, be your auntie's cousin's daughter. Anybody. We, we had one lady said, I don't want no one at the table. I want to eat by myself. For me, other people at my table. I, 
I would have my dad, like I mentioned, my dad um, passed away from cancer when I was in um, undergrad. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have my dad at the table because now looking back, so I was 21 when my dad passed away and now I'm. Yeah, not not 21. (laughs) (laughs) 31, 31. (laughs) Anyway, I'm older. Uh, You know, there's so many things that I reflect on now that I was like, man, if I could just talk to my dad about these things now, that conversation would be so good. You know, he used to talk to me about different things, about like spirituality and positive thinking. And I'd be sometimes I'd be like, man, why is he talking to me about this complex stuff? I'm just a kid. You know, but now reflecting, it's like, well, you know, somebody, you know, God knew he wasn't going to be here. So he had to put that in me early. And now I could actually like appreciate that, you know, and really have that conversation with him. And so my dad would be one. Um, The other would be, I would say Martin Luther King. Like, Mm. I just, I just think his life is so fascinating. You know, I would just love to know, like why did you, why did you do this? Like, what made you lay your life down for this cause? Like, what were the the things that you like kept you up at night? You know? So I would say Martin Luther King and uh, another person, Michelle Obama, probably you said living or dead. Living or dead. Like I just love her, um, her persona. Like, I think she's, you know, she has so much grace and she's so brilliant, but yet she's so down to earth, you know, Mm. and she keeps it real. If I could say that she keeps it real. So I I think that would be a a great group of people to get together at my dinner. Just just a follow up being a, a native Chicago person. Have you ever ran into the Obamas? Have you met Barack or Michelle or have, have you come, been no, in their circle? Never. Really? I know wow. People, I know okay, people just who curious. Know them and have met them, mm-hmm. but I don't mm-hmm. I've never met them or seen them. No. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh what's been your greatest success? Mm, that's a really good question. Your greatest success. We can hear you pounding on the desk. <laughs> you, you, you made her nervous, Dre. You made her nervous. Yeah. Um, I would honestly say my greatest success has been going through those valleys that I talked about that a lot of people don't know about um, and coming out on the other side, you know, doing the work, doing the work that you have to do that, you know, when you're in a dark place that, that brings you back to the light, holding on and and doing the work and fighting through it, pushing through it, pushing through it. Yeah. As the uh, third final four question, Superman has his strength and he flies. The Hulk has his strength and Wonder Woman has her plane. And what is your unique superpower? Something that is uniquely you, that is your God given 
superpower? Hmm, that's a good question. What is my superpower? You know, I think one of my strengths is um, being able to connect with people. I think I do that quite naturally and quite easily. And not everybody can do that. Um, so I would I would say connecting with people, relating with different all different okay. kinds of people. Yeah, I pick up on that. And my guess is that the reason that is, is because of your upbringing, mm -hmm. right? I would think so. So, so like you, like you have lived in different um, communities where some communities were predominantly people that looked like me and some communities that weren't anyone like me. There wasn't yeah. anyone like me. And so I think those of us that live in those types of communities, even Smiley, when he went away to college, you know, he, he tells a number of different stories where he was like, <laughs> let me not go off on a tangent here, no, <laughs> but let me just, let me just say, <laughs> you want to hear it? Smiley, go, go ahead, go ahead and tell, tell her one of your, one of your stories from, from Dartmouth, tell her any story you want. <laughs> no, well, no, no, I went to Dartmouth and the thing about, I found with Dartmouth is I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we were we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. It was like the yeah. good times, the green and green. And, and I, I always think that uh, poverty is relative because if everyone around you is living like you, you don't know any better. And then you attribute to people you see on TV as being, well, that's just TV. That's what right. you believe. So I went to Appleton, Wisconsin, where I left all predominantly 100% roots community into <laughs> a whole bunch of white people up in Appleton, Wisconsin, where there was no one. That was like us. It was totally yeah. different. Then I went from there, and the transition from uh, Appleton to Dartmouth was the greatest because I met a class of Black people that was wealthy, third generation, fourth generation college. And that was just a totally different thing. Here was people who looked like mm -hmm. me, but they weren't like economically right. the same. They didn't live right, like me, and, and, right, and they had they, they, talk, was, they didn't talk like him. They didn't talk <laughs> like me, and the thing that I found most amazing was, I said, "You you live in a house without your grandmother? Well, well where's your granddad? What what, what, what what do you mean? Your grandfather, grandmother got their own houses, and you know your dad's family and your mom's family on on both sides of me. I would call my mother and say." Why you need so many houses? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I was I was yeah. in the the links. Are you familiar with the links organization? Yeah. So yeah, I was yeah, yeah. a member of the Links for 10 years before I decided to leave. But that that really exposed me to the 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 type of people that you're talking about, right? Um they're black. It's a different they're world. black and they look like me on the outside, but on the you know, like the way they live like in mansions and and they have like yeah. it just it's just on another level in time in terms of the wealth. Yeah. And the, and the educational oh. backgrounds and the, you know, the vacationing at Martha's Vineyard. And I'm just yeah. like, hey, what now? Like, what? I, 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 the, the last, the last story. I'm going down south my grandma's house. Like, what? 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 You haven't been that every year since you were two? Like, what? Not the Greyhound, not the Greyhound yes, bus. The Greyhound bus with a fried chicken packed for lunch. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like you stop on the yeah. side. But the, the one thing is, I remember I was a sophomore and we were, I was on the Dartmouth Gospel Choir and we drove from New Hampshire to New uh, to yeah. DC because we were singing a Howard. And I was just sitting there, it was 45 of us on a bus and I'm sitting there, we're riding through this neighborhood in DC. I'm like, man, if my family could live in a neighborhood like this, this would be yeah. amazing. Then I hear one of the, now the bus is all black except <laughs> okay. the driver. And they're like, look, everyone, look, we're in the ghetto. Look, this is the, where the poor people live. And I'm like, I'm trying to get here. <laughs> I looked around like, I'm trying to get to the ghetto. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. And I, I just looked around like, uh, I don't think I belong here. <laughs> I'm in These the are not my people. The yeah. the right, 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 exactly. exactly. I know what you mean. That's funny. funny. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it's exposure. It's exposure, right? Let me talk about the top. Okay. So, the last final four questions. So, if you were to write a biography, an autobiography, what would the title? What would the title be? You guys are asking some really good. Oh yeah. Welcome to the podcast. What would the title be? That's a, such a good question. Um, man, that's such a good question. Um, wow. I don't know. I, something I'm thinking about, like, just rising. So some maybe Phoenix, you know, like a Phoenix, uh, you know, rising. You know. Phoenix. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Okay. Smiley. Oh, this has been so exciting. And in, in the sense that you've taken the podcast to different areas. I we've had oh, I think yeah. we're That's we're up to like eighty-five guests or et cetera. And I've never I've never had anyone, but I've never had anyone say, Well, we did the analysis for the dividends or like what you talked about mm-hmm. the formularies in the healthcare. It's just I mean, it, we could probably do an hour podcast on just Every facet that you explain from the Treasury Department, I we, we I haven't ever heard of a Treasury Department. I just felt like an old. <laughs> I know I look young, but it was a while ago. <laughs> but I mean, these are I mean, every one of the things that you talked about is a podcast, and even your life coaching uh, aspirations. So thank you, Yvonne, for taking your time on this weekend and speak to us and to share your awesomeness with us. It's, it's it's a fascinating life. Thank you guys. This has been a pleasure and a joy. Yeah, really has. And and just to piggyback on what Smiley said, you know, it's um, one of the things I really enjoy. And I I think Smiley does too, is that we have guests on that we kind of just connect with naturally. Mm -hmm. Right. And you mentioned earlier that you, that you um, kind of are, able to relate to different people fairly mm-hmm. easily. It shows oh, you. uh, your story is a great one. Your story is a great one. It's one that um, hopefully our listeners, our listeners will find the younger listeners are kind of find, trying to find direction will be inspired by. As, as, as I certainly way. hope so. I certainly hope so. That would be, that would be great. So thank you guys for inviting me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's made me think it's made me laugh. Um, really enjoyed it. 